vicious hip. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make... all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast, sort of, is a barbecue eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, Texas, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only, Jay Arnold. And Mike, the Creed renditions are going to be really off-key this week. Uh, I was told to stop cutting off cutting off the filters for my cigarettes. I did not listen to the advice. That's why you don't roll your own, buddy. That's why you don't roll <laughs> your own. Get those filters. Uh, Jay Arnold had a lot of fun at State College this last weekend at the Whiteout watching Penn State Mollywop. I believe is the correct term. Uh, Iowa there. We'll talk about that in fourth down. If we make it to fourth down, as you can tell, uh, Jay is struggling with his voice. Uh, he's powering through. He's playing injured. As we mentioned, a, a former fight in Texas Aggie defensive lineman. Uh, he is not, he is not, not tough. I'm going to use the double negative there. He's a, he's a tough <laughs> man. He's, he's powering through. I would be uh, probably in hospice or something like that. So I definitely wouldn't be podcasting. So shout out to Jay Arnold uh, for getting this one done. Kind of a, a somber, uh, first down uh, for, for people that are new. And first off, like, subscribe, rate, five star, tell a friend, help us keep this podcast going off the ground. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to do. Uh, we've had we've had a, a good time doing it so far. Um, and so, yeah, any, any help you can get us to help us get the word out there is big. And you don't know how much those five star reviews do. And just just rating the podcast does in terms of getting in front of people. So we appreciate everybody who's helped us with that. We divide this up into four downs, uh, kind of like a football game does, and we'll start with first down. We'll get the big news out of the way uh, early. Connor Wigman, uh, starting quarterback for Texas A&M, ruled out for the season. Uh, Jimbo Fisher acknowledged that today on, on kind of his SEC media day call um, that he's going to be out uh, for the year. It was first thought to be two to four weeks. Uh, for what I know about some of these injuries, I, I've had a bad knee most of my life. Some of the tests can be done with swelling. And some need the swelling to come down in order to get kind of other tests done and to see the pictures more clearly. It sounds like three or four days removed, the swelling had gone down enough for a CAT scan to kind of reveal some other issues. Um, uh, Brent Zimmerman at the Houston Chronicle broke that news this morning. Uh, he was he was really good, Jay. He had played really good this football season, dating back into last football season. Third straight year for this to happen to an AM starting quarterback. Uh, I guess first question before we kind of get into what this means long term is that bad luck or is that bad offensive line play? What what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, two seasons maybe you can attribute it to bad luck. Three seasons, I think you have to look at the offensive line play and and say, you know, there's an issue here because uh, it, it's just the, you don't lose three quarterbacks three years in a row without having an offensive line issue. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much you watched the actual play uh, where he was injured, but a blitz came in, and I don't know if that's a missed assignment or if that's just you know Auburn outnumbered A and M and got a free blitzer, and that's on Wigman to get the ball out of the way. Uh, but he took a brutal hit that I thought he maybe had like a Charlie horse or something at first because the hit kind of hit him upper thigh, maybe hip area. Uh, but then he wrote, you know, you see on the replay kind of how his ankle got hurt and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe it's one of those things we need to go back and kind of look at every single play that these quarterbacks got injured in and kind of see, you know, if they were uh, breakdowns in the offensive line or if it was a freak play or something like that. I mean, injuries happen in football. But like you mentioned, you know, it's like the George W. Bush, you know, fool me once. Shame on you. You're not fooling me again, you know, and, and <laughs> like it happens three times. Like that's that's got to be a little bit on the big boys up front. Uh, and protecting that quarterback. Um, so, you know, it's the Max Johnson era now, you know, I mean, we feel bad for Connor, right? I mean, covered him back uh, to his high school days at, at Cypress Bridgeland. You're, you live in Houston now, so I'm sure you've kind of known about him and, and seen him for a long time. Great kid, awesome baseball player. Um, you, you hate to see it anytime a, a football player goes down. Uh, but the brutal part of this football game, um, sometimes the beauty of this football game, uh, is it's next man up, and, and you got to keep going, right? And it's it's Max Johnson's time. He came into the second half against Auburn and played really well. We'll talk more about that Auburn game uh, here on second down. Uh, but Max Johnson is the guy, and I think the number one question on Aggies fans' minds is, does that change expectations of 2023? I mean, I think it does. I think uh, we talked about it going into the season that Wegman staying healthy was a big part of our expectations. Uh and I mean, I'm a fan of Max Johnson as well. I think he's a tough guy. Uh, but y- you look at what Wegman's able to do. And I think Wegman's control of the offense was just a little bit better. There's a reason he won the starting job. With that being said, I think we all agreed that AM is in a better position than a lot of teams with the backup that they have in Max Johnson. Uh, and he came in and played really well against Auburn. Uh, you had obviously the really cool moment where he had a touchdown pass to his brother. Uh, but then he had a wonderful deep ball to Evan Stewart. Uh, so I think there is still hope with Max Johnson at the helm. It's just dialed back a little bit. That second touchdown. Yeah. The first touchdown pass to his brother was awesome. That was one of those cool kind of college football moments that you love to see. Um, I'm surprised nobody's tracked down like the mom to get some quotes. Maybe they have to kind of do that story of kind of what that was like to, to watch that unfold. Um, you know, but that second pass to Evan Stewart was freaking beautiful like that. That was a dime. Um, And so he's got that in his bag. He was recruited to LSU. He's been recruited to Texas A&M. So obviously uh, he's a pretty good quarterback. He's played in seven games as an Aggie, uh, 63 of 102 for 743 yards. And like Wigman, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like he hasn't turned the ball uh, over either a lot, right? And so, you know, that's something that you get with him. His legs are there. He can move around a little bit. He can get you some yards. He showed that in the Arkansas game. Uh, last year, we'll talk about that in third down. Uh, but I think he's a capable quarterback that I'm not sure. I'm not sure my expectations change all that much uh, for AM. Like, I think they, I thought they were going to be an eight and four, nine and three football season team going into the year. I think when they lost to Miami, that dropped to eight and four, seven and five. And I think they're still an eight and four, uh, seven and five football team. I think those road trips are going to be tough. But it's not, it's not that I think Max Johnson is as good as Wigman because he's not. Because, uh, like you said, he would have won the job if if he was better than than Wigman. I think that the weapons around him are as such that he doesn't have to be 
Trevor Lawrence or Patrick Mahomes or, you know, somebody who elevates the, just get the ball to Evan Stewart, get the ball to Anaya Smith, get the ball to your brother, like run the football, hand it to Amari Daniels and, and those guys that are starting to play better. So don't turn the ball over, get some first downs with your legs, take those deep shots like you did to Evan Stewart. I still think AM can win nine games if he does those things. Yeah, and look, the SEC West is not as strong as it's been in the past. That's true, too. I mean, you you go up and down, and you know, you're about to play an Arkansas team that uh is beatable. Obviously, the Jerry World game is is always a little bit bonkers. Uh LSU, <clears throat> LSU hasn't looked as good as I thought they would. Uh Alabama obviously isn't as good as they've been in the past. So there is still a lot of opportunity for this team to take a step forward and uh, to win a lot of football games in the conference and in the division. Uh, so we'll see if they capitalize on that. Obviously, like you talked about, Max Johnson, if he maximizes, no pun intended, the weapons around him, uh, he has a real opportunity to, to lead this team to a lot of wins. And I think it's knowing that and, and you know, minimizing the weaknesses that you have. Uh, offensive line, obviously, is still going to be a little bit of an issue going forward. But I think that being able to get the ball out quick can minimize some of that damage and maybe Petrino Fisher with a backup quarterback kind of rely more on the short game stuff and, and do a little bit more maybe don't leave him out there to dry as much it felt like they trusted Wigman to the point where like he was like an NFL quarterback where it was like if they rush six and we have five to block that's on you like figure that out you know um, yeah. so maybe that that kind of helps in the long run with, with play calling um, I think the other thing before we move on to second down and wrap up the Auburn game I think one of the things too is the SEC is not the Pac-12 and I know that I know that sentence on its own sounds crazy, but he's not facing, you know, Caleb Williams and Bo Nix and Michael Penix on a weekly basis or Cam Wright. You know, like I think he's still a hu- upper half quarterback in the SEC um, just from what we've seen so far uh, through four games. So I, I think if Texas A&M ends up, let's say, six and six to me, it won't be because the quarterback play fell off. And now all of a sudden they couldn't get to eight or nine wins. I think it'll be other stuff. Maybe the defense isn't as good as we think or something, something like that uh, will happen. Or, you know, the offensive line gets another quarterback hurt. And then where, you know, and where are we at or something, something like that will happen uh, for it to drop off. I don't think it'll be for max, but we'll see. Uh, he started against Arkansas last year. He's going to start obviously against Arkansas uh, here in week five. And we'll talk about that a little bit uh, before we get there though. You know, we, you were in Pennsylvania, uh, you didn't get back till Monday night. You're clearly still struggling uh, with your voice. So we didn't record early in the week like normal. Uh, it's already Wednesday when we're recording. So we won't spend a ton of time on the Auburn game. But since we didn't do it uh, last week, Texas A&M wins 27 to 10 at home. The defense only allowed three points. Seven of those points were a fumble return for a touchdown uh, where Jimbo Fisher was on the field. That was that was absolutely tremendous. You got to know where you are. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have some awareness, you know, it's uh, like in soccer where like goal awareness, you know, you got to know uh, where you are on or off the field at all times. Uh, they recorded seven sacks, which is amazing because they had 13 all of last year, you know, just to show you uh, where that was. They allowed 3.1 yards per play. Auburn had five three and outs. I thought that was a, a pretty good stat. Uh, Johnson came in in the second half, went seven for 11, 123 yards, two touchdowns. We talked about that Evan Stewart pass. That was that was tremendous. Uh, Le'Veon Moss may have been the story of the game, if not for the Wigman injury. Uh, 97 yards, had a touchdown. Amari Daniels had a 79-yard run as a team. AM averaged 6.3 yards per attempt and totaled 209 yards on the ground. Jay, I have a couple of questions about this game. One, was the defense performance, do you think that was more about AM or Auburn? 
a little bit of both because uh, Auburn is still a team that can run the football really well. And Auburn ran the ball 41 times, averaged three and a half yards a carry. And that's enough to, to get Auburn to fourth down. So I think you have to give the defensive line credit on that. Uh, also, you look at, you know, you mentioned the sacks, seven sacks. That's huge because a hasn't been able to rush the passer. Uh, and then also 15 tackles for loss. Yeah. And that's a big part of limiting the run game and, and getting Auburn behind the chains. Uh, and then obviously, like, you talk about the struggles of Auburn to throw the ball. I do think that covers up A&M's, some of their problems in the secondary. But you still have to be a little bit happy with the performance. Uh, only nine completions on the day. I mean, I realize that Auburn's a team that wants to run the football and they don't really trust their quarterbacks to air it out. But it, but to limit a team to nine receptions when they're behind for pretty much the whole game, uh, that's pretty impressive in my book, even if part of that is because of of the struggles of the op- opponent. I've been watching this documentary on Netflix called Predators. It's awesome. I would recommend watching it. I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, that's what the defense looked like. Like they had no risk of being beat over the top. Uh, they knew they could play man to man on the back end and just like go hunt the quarterback and the running back. And I, like they were trying to do zone option stuff, but like there was like three guys attached to each of the option, you know? So like it just all got swallowed up in, in one mass. So yeah, I, I think the linebackers played really well. Your boy Torian York uh, continues to outperform awesome. uh, his recruiting ranking. Edrin Cooper had a, had a big game. If those guys, are as good as they were against Auburn, you know, that second level isn't as big of a concern as we saw. And I wanted to ask you before we move to, to one question on the offense, um, as a defensive lineman, how much is confidence and momentum? Like is a game like that, even if it's not against a great team, is that enough to maybe get like to turn that corner and kind of like get you into like better games, you know, like, ah, okay, we can do it. It's almost like breaking the seal, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Well, and the flip side of that too is, when you get ahead as a defensive lineman, you know the opponent's going to have to start throwing the ball or, or getting more creative. That's when you can kind of pin your ears back a little bit and get aggressive. Uh, and I think DJ Durkin did that. I think this is the most aggressive play calling from a defensive standpoint we've seen all year. Uh, but it trickles down to the defensive line and the fact that they're just able to be disruptive. And I think that with the talent that AM has in this position group, they're able to get a little bit more confidence, like you talk about, but they're also able to to play a little bit freer. Uh, so it, ho- hopefully that's a trend going forward, because I, honestly, I think the defensive line playing more aggressive can help the back end uh, a little bit by pressuring quarterbacks, forcing mistakes. Yeah, I mean, you may give up a couple of big plays, but you're already giving up a couple of big plays. So, so I, might as well go for it. Yeah, go go get pressure on the quarterback. Be great. Use the five-star bevy of talent that you have down there. You know, just like go. And just like when those guys get tired, bring in more guys and then go again uh, and hope your offense scores enough points. Because A&M, like, I mean, they're scoring. I mean, they're top 20 offense scoring in the league. You know, so like you don't have to win these games 17 to 14 or whatever. Trust Trust your offense to go score some points as well. Uh, and trust your defense to get to the quarterback before they make a big play. I, I, it did seem like the lack of big play ability by Auburn allowed Durkin to call a defense that like fit AM's personnel in a way that maybe he wasn't before. And that, you know, maybe that is something that he, the light bulb goes off uh, with him and that unit together. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you said, you're going to have big plays anyway. Right. You might as well just try to uh, make up for, 
you, your struggles in the back end with the ruthless aggression up front. 100%. Uh, and then offensively, before we move on to Arkansas and, and third down, is this offensive line just better at run blocking than they are at pass blocking? I think that this particular game set up better for this offensive line. You look at what Auburn does well, uh, and it's big guys up front that are able to to use their strength to win. It feels like AM matches up better with a team that wants to be stronger rather than faster. I think it's yeah. the quickness of opposing defensive lines where they struggle, and that's why you saw AM had much more success in the run game. Is that a just a preference of offensive line recruiting, like big guys versus maybe smaller guys and, and what they're able to do? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And then also the development. Uh, and we can get into to run like zone schemes versus man schemes and and break things down. But it's it's tough to do that. And I think this is one of the rare times that AM has been able uh, to, to use their strength a little bit more just because of how big Auburn was on the interior defensive line. It feels like the ability to run the football is obviously always important, but it's now more so important. You know, like with Max Johnson coming in, like being able to run the football like that 30 plus times a game seems like the recipe going forward, or at least part of the recipe going forward. Yeah, it's it's gonna have to be. I mean, and you have to take some of the game off your quarterback's shoulders. And you look at offensively, obviously, AM. They throw the ball 25 times, which is a big limit compared to where they've been in the past. Part of that, though, is having success in the run game and then also getting on top of Auburn and being able to uh, being able to dictate the tempo uh, and, and what you want to do with your play calling. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that with Max Johnson stepping in for Connor Wegman now, you're going to have to uh, establish the run game even more so than before. Yeah, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I, I wanted to look up as you're talking about that. I wanted to look up kind of like the most attempts he's had as an Aggie uh, because it doesn't seem like the games just off the top of my head. It doesn't feel like he threw the ball a lot uh, in the games that he started. Yeah, so I, I can't go back, but I know Max Johnson only threw it 11 times on Saturday, which yeah. is, a, is a pretty limited uh, sample size. Yeah, I guess our, I have the Arkansas here in front of me because that's what we're well, – let's move to third down, talk about the Arkansas game. Uh, 11 a.m. AT&T Stadium. It'll be on a- SEC Network. Um, last year he did start at the Arkansas game. He was 11 of 21, so 21 passing attempts last year. 151 yards, a touchdown, no picks, obviously. He also ran for 48 yards, which you know got them into some scoring positions and they were able to win. One of the weirdest games that I was at last year, to be honest with you, uh, 23-21, K.J. Jefferson tried to fly through the air from like the six-yard <laughs> line, and that kind of took It was took a momentum. space jam dunk. Yes, that's exactly right. Because if he scores that game, Arkansas, in my opinion, wins going away. Yeah. Uh, Texas A&M wasn't – we didn't know this completely yet, but they weren't the type of team that fought adversity all that well. Had they gone down another touchdown, I believe they would have packed that one in. Uh, but that gave him a jolt. Uh, Damani Richardson. 14-point swing. Right, yeah. Because I can't remember if Damani Richardson got the fumble and handed it to somebody else or if somebody else got the fumble and handed it to Damani Richardson. I, but it, anyway, he ended up at like a 50-yard line. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it ended up like at the 50 or so, and then they went and scored some points, and like that really completely changed the tenor of the game. A&M's won 10 of the last 11, but it doesn't feel that way. 
because it is such a it's such a crazy close game all the time. But AM has won 10 of 11 um, since they joined the SEC in, in 2012. But Arkansas still leads the all-time series 42-34 to 3. Um, as we mentioned, the Johnson stats last year. Arkansas is two and two in 2023. They started out with wins over Western Carolina and Kent State. They are on a two-game losing streak, though. Uh, they lost to BYU in non-conference in week three, and then LSU last week, both by one possession. Uh, they scored at least 30 points in both of those losses, though. So the offense has played well, really well. It's been the defense. They're averaging uh, 36 points allowed in those defeats. Uh, Jay, um, kind of what are you know your two or three maybe keys to to how Texas A&M comes out with a win here? Yeah, uh, tackling KJ Jefferson is yes. number one. I yeah. mean, he is such a physical guy at the quarterback position. And he throws the ball well. Uh, don't don't take that me saying he's physical as he's a guy that can only run. He is very much a excellent passer. And a and going to have to bring pressure, which opens up the opportunities for Jefferson to get out of the pocket. But he is difficult, difficult, difficult guy to bring down. Uh, I mean, you see it all the time with guys coming in on blitzes and just kind of bouncing off of them because he's so big uh, for the position. Uh, but that's going to be the first key. The second key, we already talked about it in the last round, establish the run. You, yeah. you know you're going to have a, a different quarterback in there. If you get the run going, it gives him some confidence. He's able uh, to move the ball a little bit better. It feels to me, and this is probably a reductive view of this deal, but it feels like Arkansas is a souped-up version of Auburn um, and where that they want to do similar stuff. Arkansas has the ability to do that stuff if you're trying to stop it where it didn't feel like Auburn had the ability to do it, but they want to run the football. And if you can, if you're AM and you can make them one dimensional and I, I KJ Jefferson's obviously a better quarterback than Thorne last week and what they were pulling out um, uh, from Auburn. But if you can make it to where it is third and eight, most of the time. Uh, and it's just about if Arkansas can, can win in the passing game against your defense, if Durkin stays, you know, aggressive and, and less the defensive line and, and secondary kind of get after the quarterback uh, I think that that you know bodes well for them. On the flip side, it does feel because like Arkansas scoring points, like I mentioned, they scored over thirty in, in both of their losses. They're not losing these things seventeen to ten. A&M's going to have to score some points. It, it's hard to believe they're going to win this thing seventeen to thirteen or something. Like they're going to need twenty four plus twenty seven plus points. If you're Petrino. How do you go about this? Do you let Johnson kind of get into a rhythm early and get some of that out of the system and try to get him some quick short passes? Do you walk in there relying on the run game? Kind of like how do you approach the script uh, going into Arkansas? Yeah, I think you go in relying on the run game, uh, and then you can kind of open up the playbook. It'll be interesting to see what the script is that Petrino goes with in the first drive. Uh, and if AM is able to stick to that script, obviously – but my, my thought is you get to the run game going and then go to Max Johnson, get some passes uh, to try to get him some confidence. But who knows? I think Bobby Petrino, I don't know if that's right or wrong, like in terms of football correctness. I think Bobby Petrino is going to do the opposite because you're a defensive guy and that's how a defensive guy would think. Yeah. And so he knows what Arkansas thinks that they're going to do. Just like second half against Auburn, it felt like they came out of halftime going, well, we're not going into a shell. Like, we're going to push the ball. We're going to pass. And then once that was successful and they had proven that to Auburn and Auburn kind of gave respect to the passing game, then they pounded them with the running game. And then that started to open up. I think Petrino is going to do that. I think Petrino is going to come out 
and pass the ball, even if they're just like quick hitches and screens. I think he's going to get Max into the flow of the game, try to, in theory, make Arkansas get out of the box a little bit and then start hitting them with the run game. Yeah, and to that point, I think the best weapons AM has are the pass catchers. Yes. They are the guys like uh Evan Stewart and and, and I Smith, Jake Johnson at tight end, and even Ro- Ruben Owens out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think there is something to that where maybe because of the weapons you have, it is better to let Max go out there and just start slinging it. Uh so again, it's it's always tough to predict these types of things, but I I can definitely see where or you might think that would be the way Petrino goes. And I think that's also, to be fair, uh, if we're listening to Petrino's philosophy, again, back to feed the studs, throwing the ball around lends itself to that more than trying to establish the run. I grew up a Atlanta Braves baseball fan because growing up in Houston, uh, the games got blacked out if you didn't sell out the Astrodome and they never sold out the Astrodome. So it was much easier to watch the Braves than it was the Astros. And Greg Maddox became my favorite pitcher. And back then you were taught to use the fastball to set up the off-speed stuff. And Maddox kind of flipped that because he didn't have a great fastball and he used the off-speed stuff to set up the fastball. I just think that's how uh, Petrino is going to try to approach this thing because he knows he's going to have to get something out of Johnson to win this football game. You might as well give him the confidence early that one, you believe in him because you didn't run the ball 18 times of your first 20 plays. And two, maybe a wide receiver pops something and all of a sudden you're feeling good. And, and cause it, it looked like once he had those two touchdown passes, like, like he looked like a starter once he started yeah. going, um, I think you just got, you got to figure out a way. And maybe that is just running the football. You got to figure out a way to get him into this football game and it not be like, oh, crap, we're going to have to win in spite of them after the first quarter. Yeah, and to be fair, Greg Maddox also uh, had better command of his pitches than I think anybody in the history. That's true. Game. He was but, really good. He was talented. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, I don't – it's it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because maybe putting the trust in your guy that he can go out there and throw the ball uh, gives him that confidence, whereas if you try to run it, Maybe it's like, uh, coach doesn't trust me to go out right. here and, and can be a little bit, uh, of a, of a limit limiting factor. Uh, but either way, I'm, I'm just kind of, I know this game's going to be one of those that just takes years off your life. Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Cause like, I mean, obviously Bobby, like, I'm not trying to compare Max Johnson and AM's offense to Iowa, but you were just there and that's what it feels like at Iowa. Right. Like you could take not every quarterback, but you could take most kind of middle of the road quarterbacks and drop them in Iowa. And they're not going to have any confidence because of how the plays are called. Like you, you don't, you know that the coach doesn't trust you to do shit. And so you're just playing robotic and you don't have any freedom. You're not having a good time. It felt like Petrino knew Max could have gotten into that as a reliever last week and instead went the other way and was like, bomb it out. Just like get it out of your system throw it, let's sling it around. And then he kind of put the governor on it and only limited those to 11 passes. So we'll see. I, uh, I am a, I'm obsessed with scripts. Like I, it's like one of my favorite parts of, of football because like, you know, you have a whole week to, to figure that out. And it's like what an offensive coordinator really wants to do. And then you can divide games into the script part into the non-script part. And as a gambler, you can take advantage of early success on teams. If you don't think it'll sustain, right? Like, yeah. You could really back in Sark's kind of 13 and 12 first two years at Texas, you could hammer, hammer Texas after the first quarter, like take the other team and just know that they were going to come back to the field because eventually Sark ran out of his script. 
And I think he's getting better at that. Uh, but I'm, I'm always fascinated with how OCs go about uh, approaching a game. <laughs> uh, but I do think defensively, like you said, it's just if KJ Jefferson has a big game, Texas A&M probably loses. If Texas A&M makes other people beat them other than KJ Jefferson, A&M probably wins. 100%. Uh, and, you know, it's – Man, it's just I have a lot of respect for what KJ Jefferson does just because it's not something you see out of most quarterbacks. <clears throat> you know, as a defensive lineman, right? I'm I'm ready to just go hunt the quarterback. And and it's not often that you play against a guy who's as physical as a tight end at the quarterback position. Uh, and KJ is one of those guys. But AM's gonna have to gang tackle. They're gonna have to make sure they get multiple hats on the ball. Uh, and, and that's the way you limit a guy like KJ Jefferson. It's a, it's a meet at the quarterback because you're going to probably need two people to bring him down. Does this game, is this a rivalry? Like, are these two schools rivals? Just as somebody who's played in that game, does it feel that way? Or did that huge layoff between uh, 91 and 2009 kind of like kill that for this generation? I think it still feels like a rivalry, uh, especially for me coming from Rockwall, mm. where like half of the guys – I felt like at my school head up 30 and go to Arkansas. And a lot of us ended up at A&M. And then you look at the history from the old days, there's still plenty of people who were around during the Southwest conference days uh, that go and, and tell stories about the old days against Arkansas. And then on the flip side of that, you also have the, how close these games have all been right. uh, since the SEC days. Uh, and I think, those like one score type games, overtime type games, they just kind of add to uh, the, the disdain that teams have for each other. Uh, so I've always looked at it as maybe not like a huge rivalry, but probably the biggest rivalry that AM had uh, in the SEC, at least until Texas comes in. Yeah. And LSU kind of feels like they've become like, that SEC were just because they played the last week. And, you know, those have been good games uh, to the connection uh, between like Louisiana and, and kind of the college station, Houston, Houston area. Uh, but yeah, as like somebody who kind of, I mean, Southwest conference was kind of my first love, right? Like the Houston Oilers, the Southwest conference is kind of what got me um, into football, like watching Andre Ware like throw it around and, and that kind of stuff was, was a huge influence on like how I intake football. Um, and so I enjoy the rivalry. I do worry that that's not going to be part of A&M's plus th- or like three, you know, and like it'll kind of get lo- maybe lost in the shuffle um, because Texas has to happen and LSU has to stay. And so I don't know if that third team will be Arkansas or not. Uh, but I was curious if it was just because like for the Texas Arkansas thing, it does feel almost generational. Like what who but that's a good point that these games have been so close the last 11 years. That it's like brought brought in a whole new generation to this thing um six to your point of the last 11 six have been one score games so even though AM's won most of these games um y'all have lost you know as you mentioned parts of your lives because of it yep uh and that's okay that's what football's about it's just uh <laughs> getting overly invested and, and taking years off your life what what do you think takes more years off your life the beating your body actually takes or the beating you mentally take <laughs> as a fan uh for me personally, I'd say the beating my body takes, but you know, maybe if a guy's a kicker, perhaps it's the uh, the mental beatings. So you're saying that your injuries you suffered on the field are a little bit worse than what you're playing with right now, is what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You probably could have practiced with this, huh? <laughs> this absolutely would be. I would be able to practice with 
Yeah. Well, you're podcasting now. Um, and so, you know, with, with the, the rough voice, so you're getting it done. You know, you have my respect. Um, I'm not a tough guy, so I probably would have just, I would have been like, <laughs> Hey, we'll talk next week. You know, like nobody needs, you know, so, uh, but Jay made this happen. Like this was, I gave, I try to give him one last out, uh, to go behind the curtain here. I try to give him one last out, but try before we started uh, recording this, and not only did he say no, he said it with a force that I really believed. So I kind of <laughs> just let it lie there. Uh, let's move down. Uh, let's move to fourth down. Oh, before we before we move, you got any, you got a prediction, you got a score or a win or kind of how you're feeling about this thing? I think uh, Arkansas, Arkansas was plus six and a half the last time I saw it. Uh, yeah, but I think that's it's coming the, down. The line I got okay. uh, is still six and a half. Uh, I don't have any predictions because like we talked about, this game is always stupid. It's yeah. just idiotic. Yeah. Trying to predict it is is madness. Uh, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go 35, 32 Texas A&M. It does feel like that's going to have to be the score that Ziggy gets in. I had written down 34, 31 A&M. Uh, it feels like it's going to have to get into that range. Um, I did take Texas A&M or I did take Arkansas to cover. Like it was at plus six and a half. Uh, Absolutely. I, bought, I bought the hook and made it plus seven. So I got Arkansas plus seven because of what you said. This game is stupid. Like I have no idea who's going to win, how it's going to happen. It could be three to two for all I know. All I know is it's going to be weird. and It's going to be close like that. That is what my prediction is. It's going to get weird. It's going to get close. It's 11 a.m. So it's probably going to be even weirder. Um, so that's not what Jerry had in mind, by the way, <laughs> when he brought Texas A&M Arkansas to Jerry world, he wasn't like, Hey, you know, it'll be 11 a.m. Game on sec network. That's where we're going with this thing. Well, to be fair, he also thought he was smarter than the sun building that stadium east to west. So that's true. there's, that's true. there's a lot of factors going into that. That is true. That yeah, is those true. windows on the field. Absolutely awful. Oh like, yeah. I have no idea what they were thinking, but yeah. I mean, if I had, billions of dollars i'd probably do dumb shit too jerry are you embarrassed are you embarrassed jerry? yes i'm embarrassed of course i am and very sorry to our fans i've never been more disappointed i've never been more surprised yeah i don't think he was thinking you know i think it's uh <laughs> like marcus freeman after he had the 10 men on the field he tried to give kind of like that explanation of why i don't i think he did i think he choked like i don't think he had an explanation you know even to just address that right is that the reality is when, when did you find out it was too late or it was too late and, um, you know, you don't have time to get, by the time we realized there was 10 guys on the field, you don't have time to get somebody from, you know, the sideline when the ball's on the one-yard line in the front, you know, on the far hash, to be able to, you have to touch somebody on offense to get them to stop the play. And so by the time we realized that, to run somebody out there, you would have got a penalty, but they would have declined it and still scored a touchdown. And so as we talked as a staff yesterday, Obviously, we can't let that happen. We know that. We, we can't um, let 10 guys go on the field and not see it. But two, you know, we have to be able to – we came up with a call, a signal to be able to say, hey, you have to jump off sides and, and, and touch somebody on the offense so you can stop the play, right? And so it was a learning opportunity for myself and everybody um, involved with our program. So, And then you got to make one up after the fact. And then it sounds even dumber than if you would have just been like, yeah, I messed that one up. Like I didn't yeah. think about the sun, you know, like I just, I, I just thought the windows looked cool. And like, this is the way the land was. And like, I couldn't go the other way with it or it would cost me however many more billions of dollars to buy out the poor people that lived around the stadium. Like they did uh, for the the structure there. Yeah. Did not think about the giant ball of fire that shows up <laughs> every day. Yeah. yeah. And well, 
he's rich enough to avoid it. That's you know what I mean. Like he probably has somebody to vampire. Right. He's got somebody to hold an umbrella every single time the sun hits him or whatever. So he he forgot uh, that it exists. Um, so yeah, oh good old Jerry World. That place is a must see though. You got to go there at least one time. It's a it is a cathedral um, to athletics to football. Um, I always love that the high school state championships are there to like watch like Refurio play on a, uh, Jerry World's field is like incredible. Um, if you that's the way to intake that field, by the way. If you've never been there and you want to go but you don't want to spend a thousand dollars to go to a Cowboys game, uh, just go to AT and T for the high school state championships in December. And like watch three or four games just in one day. Um, it's awesome for 10 bucks. And then you pay for parking and it's great. Uh, let's move to fourth down to the Ask J segment of this deal. Uh, we're going to keep this relatively short uh, because of my man's uh, voice situation there. Um, you're, oh, we got this one from Twitter. And I thought this was a great question. Uh, you're left without ketchup or barbecue sauce. What are you dipping your fries in? Uh, so the British love malt vinegar. Well, they're fries, which yeah. is kind of weird. Uh, I didn't hate it when I tried it, but I think just queso. I think Ooh. queso is a great answer here. Like, that if was... I have queso as an option, why not? Yeah, you went off the board. That was smart. That was smart. My brain limited me to only condiments that you really kind of find in your fridge. Uh, I didn't attack this question with as much freedom as your mind allowed you to. <laughs> Uh, hats off that uh, on you there. That's probably why your your culinary experiences are better than mine uh, as well. I I just I have the simple answer here. It's ranch. Like yeah. I, I feel like that is that is the obvious answer here. Uh, ranch dressing probably above both of those things a lot of times um, it, when it comes to French fries. The underrated one I wrote down though, uh, honey mustard. I feel like doesn't get the love it deserves sometimes, but a good just like honey mustard with some French fries, delicious. That this may be a little bit of a sicko take, but I don't mind like a little bit of like uh uh like tartar sauce with with, with French fries, especially yeah. if I'm like doing the fish and chips thing. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Are you a? I am a dipper, like uh, not a Copenhagen dipper, but like I am. Like I lather my chicken nuggets. Like I, you know, I dip every French fry into something. Like I, I am a condiment person, which is ironic because I am anti barbecue sauce. Uh, at barbecue places like the meat should be good enough like if not then you're you know go to a different place we're in texas but uh i think for like french fries for chicken nuggets like i am somebody who enjoys the dipping dude that brings up another point uh cane sauce oh man as a condiment yeah would be great for fries chick-fil-a sauce if you want to go that direction because chick-fil-a sauce is just honey mustard and barbecue yeah i learned i learned that so Uh, that may be like a little bit of uh that's cheating yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll call it cheating then. Cane <laughs> uh, sauce is a good one. Was my answer. Cane sauce is a good one. What are your stance on Lane's versus Cane's? Uh, I actually like Lane's sauce better. Okay. But I like everything else from Cane's better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me I, too. I feel like Lane's sauce is more peppery, and I am, I'm a savage for black pepper. I do. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy Cane's more than Lane's. Um, I don't know if I've gone deep dive into their sauce. Like I, I enjoy that. You knew kind of the pepper content of those two that I, you were the right man to ask that question. I, <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate your honesty there. I didn't know. Sometimes I, I, I don't think you'll correct me when I say this. A lot of times Aggie institutions become almost religious in that it doesn't really matter if they're good or not. Like you're just part of the religion. So you just take it in and that's your baby. And I, I just, for me, for my age group, my friends that went to AM, you weren't allowed to talk about lanes 
in a derogatory way. You had to act as if it was better than Chick-fil-A. Yeah. It's the same thing as like Pluckers founded by Texas grads. Yes. And I want him to be an a and I'm sorry that I like Holy Mac. I'm sorry. Right. 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 Uh, you know, us, those of us who didn't go to AM, stop at Bucky's and enjoy it. You know, everybody's got wins. Everybody's got losses. I don't think Lane's is bad. I went there like a month ago when I was there or, you know, for whenever the first uh, practice of fall was or not even fall, but what we got to think of a new word for fall camp. I've called it fall camp my whole life. It can't be fall camp when it's 108 degrees outside. Um, <laughs> so like August camp or whatever, uh, went to lanes with Sam Khan and it, it is good, but we had the same conversation of like, it's not as good as Kane's. Um, we can't really call it two days anymore either. Right. Right. Like I, I'm just, I'm old and I call it fall camp and I need to think of a different word. Cause one, it's not even fall. Uh, fall didn't even start till last weekend. Um, but also it's, it's a thousand degree. You're we're on the sun. So, yeah. um, we can't call it that the thing that Jerry forgot about. <laughs> right. 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 Cause everything he has is air conditioned. Um, rank the bet. So you went to state college to watch Penn state. Um, I enjoyed following you along on, on social media, seeing all the photos that ice cream that you put, by the way, looked delicious. And I'm like, so it's, it's a uh, grilled stickies are these things that they have at Penn state. And they're like, kind of like a cinnamon bun. That's been like seared. It's incredible. Uh, grilled stickies ice cream from the creamery, which Penn State's known for. Uh, fantastic. Absolutely like as much a part of the Penn State experience as anything else is. This is off script, not part of the Ask Jay segment. But uh, when you mentioned that, cinnamon is my favorite spice. Like I, cinnamon rolls, like any French cinnamon toast crunch, like anything with cinnamon on it, like I find to be the most delicious thing in the world. You got a favorite spice? Man, I mean, black pepper is probably the most versatile. Uh, cayenne, I do like cayenne quite a bit. Paprika, Pepe, yeah, paprika guy is probably yeah. that's probably where I'll go. Yeah, paprika, paprika is good. Yeah, I just I I do enjoy cinnamon. I do the woman who's about to be uh, my wife here in about six months. Uh, early on in our relationship, made some bright like cinnamon rolls, and it was at that moment. Like I've never told her this. Um, cause I, it's easier to be more vulnerable with you and the people listening than to with her, you know? Uh, but that was the moment I knew that like, I can't F this one up because like, holy crap, like she's got everything else going. And then like, she just made these. So, uh, I got to stick with this thing. Yeah. And to your point, like pumpkin spice, like the Starbucks fable, the big ingredient in that isn't like pumpkin. It's, it's cinnamon. Yeah. Cinnamon is delicious. Cinnamon's and great. I am, I'm a sucker for pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pumpkin pie, like uh banana bread, like anything that you can put cinnamon in, it elevates it. It makes it better. I, I also have a sweet tooth. So like, of course my favorite chili, spice. If you're from Ohio. Yes, I do. I believe in that by the way, cinnamon and chili. Like I don't do it every time, but it, it's good. Uh, it is good. Um, you put a cinnamon roll and some chili and like, I know that it sounds crazy, but if you like cornbread in your chili, just sub out a cinnamon roll one time and like, just don't judge me until afterwards. Uh, but <laughs> I have Nebraska, some Midwest, right? I have Midwestern family roots, you know? And so like, this is a part and like, it sounds crazy, but it, it, it just, it's like sweet cornbread into your chili, which we all can agree is delicious. So, uh, you know, don't hate it until you try it. Uh, I am also, I'm off on the cheese on the apple pie though. I'm the, I'm off on that one. Uh, but cinnamon roll into chili i can't i can't get behind so you went to state college you had that experience you went to the white out you know definitely one of the the more legendary 
uh, college experiences that you could have. You've been to a few of those. You've had you've had a few of those. Uh, where where is your top five at this moment experiences? All right. Uh, so I'm going to count down from five to one. Oh, okay. You did an order. I like this. I did. I did. Uh, <clears throat> at number five, I have Bryant Denny, uh, Alabama. You know, I think it suffers a little bit just because of how used they are to winning. And I think that has dulled the crowd some. But uh, when Dixieland Delight plays and the whole stadium's chanting, fuck Auburn, or sorry, uh, good. you know, it, it, it does it plays a factor. Like it's a really cool moment. Uh, at number four, speaking of, I have Auburn, uh, Auburn, I think pound for pound is a much louder stadium than Bryant Denny. Uh, I don't know exactly how that shakes out, but it's, uh, I think it's part of the, like, I don't know. There's just some mystique that Auburn has that I don't think you get at Bama. And that's why I have Auburn at four. Number three, I'm kind of cheating here. The Red River shootout at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. No, it's got to be on there. Uh, like having gone to it, it's just such a cool environment. You're in the state fair. The stadium is perfectly divided between the the crimson and the orange. I mean, it is just a really cool game to take in. Growing up an OU fan, it's always a huge bucket list item. Uh, Can I stop you for one second? What's your favorite state fair food? It's a Fletcher's corn dog. I mean, I'm I'm a classic there. Uh, to be mustard? honest with you, you mustard man. I'm I'm a ketchup guy. Oh I know my it's god! A Get sin. out of here! Get out! Uh, of it's here. a Keep sin, going with but... your list. That's insane. All right. <laughs> and then I'm cheating for my number one spot. Uh, I what have was a tie. two. It's a tie. Oh, okay. At number okay. one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, between LSU and obviously a bias, but the whiteout at Penn State. Uh, I mean, two incredible environments. And LSU, obviously, like it's rowdy. Uh, I'm probably taking the tailgate into factor here too, with how incredible the food is. Uh, Penn State lived up to the hype for me. Uh, I mean, that place was packed, 110,000 in Beaver Stadium. Uh, it was raining, and like you had like the remnants of a tropical storm up there, so it was like kind of foggy while the game's going on. But it, I think that just added to it. It felt perfect. Uh, Man, that place is loud. And uh, really, the tailgate's kind of cool, too. I mean, it's kind of weird the way they set it up. It's different where, like, at AM, you're on campus, or LSU, you're on campus, and you have your setup where you kind of pack in. At, at Penn State, it's like grass fields that serve as parking lots, and you just tailgate right off of your car, which is a little bit of a different experience. And, and I mean, it was a blast. Just an incredible environment. I've always said that Penn State is – another bucket list item and going for the wide out. I mean, it lived up to everything I expected. So those are my tied for first LSU death Valley and Penn state happy Valley. There was no Kyle field on that, sir. Yes. And that's because as a biased person, Kyle field is above these types of lists. That was a good, that was good. That was well done. Uh, it's like you had that one in the chamber ready. ready oh yeah. To answer that. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Well, you you know you knew you were doing the podcast with the journalist. You had to have you had to have the follow up uh, predicted before it happened. There, um, I I when we start talking about this stuff, I realize how much that I've just stayed inside the state of Texas with my viewing experiences. Um, I think the best experience I've ever had as a college football fan 
was the final game between Texas and Texas A&M and Kyle Field. Like that was the peak of my college football viewing experience. Like that's that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I was at the Texas Michigan Rose Bowl. And the Rose Bowl is is a is a place that you have to go watch a a big football game just because of how beautiful it is. It's like football heaven or whatever. Uh, but Kyle Field is absolutely uh, the wildest, craziest. Like if I was if an alien came down to Earth and I needed to take them to a college football game in the state of Texas, there's only one place to do that, and that's that's Kyle Field. Like that place is insane. Like the press box is a million miles in the air. It starts like swaying when y'all start swaying. Like it's. The first time you're feeling it, man, it, it is pretty wild. Uh, I'm going to be at the AM Alabama game. Uh, pretty excited for that one. That one's going to be wild. I'll be there as well. Uh, we also have another game coming up. Yeah. Tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Going to see you tomorrow. Um, breaking some news here on the podcast, just because, you know, we, we won't be able to edit this out because we don't have the ability to do that because we're both Lundites, but uh, just general parking, you know, <laughs> just like just general parking. That's what I was told as a media member. They're like, yeah, you're just going to have to park. So that's just, like this is what that is. Uh, excited to take that in. Sam Houston is playing uh, Jack state, both FBS newcomers. This is Sam Houston's first conference game. Uh, this is going to be Thursday nights televised. It's going to be, going to be fun. Um, it's also their first real home game of the year. This will be their first game at Bowers as an FBS program because their only other home game of the year. They played at NRG. Uh, so excited to be there. I have been to Sam Houston State's campus a few times for stories, but this will be the first time I've ever watched a football game there. Um, so going to check another one off the Texas Stadium Tour list. First for me as well, uh, but it should be a fun, fun game. Maybe my voice will be back by then. Just in time to lose it. Uh, cheering for those Bearcats. Is there a lot of, uh, so I went to UTSA, so there was a ton of Texas fans. Um, you think there's a, I bet there's a lot of A&M fans that go to Sam Houston. Uh, I, bet there there's a, I bet there's a huge crossover there. Or at least I've I've met a few. Maybe yeah. it's just because I went to A&M, but I've met a lot of Sam Houston State A&M supporters. So I wrote down a question here because you were on uh, you were on another road trip. You've gone on a lot of road trips. I've been to a lot of uh, the places in this great country. I wanted to ask you before we sign off here, what's your favorite state out of sight of Texas? New Mexico. I mean, it's 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 next door neighbor. And so it's kind of a cheat answer. I could go with like any of the Mountain West states like Washington and the Pacific Northwest. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wyoming and and Yellowstone and and. Grand Teton National Park, gorgeous. Uh, I want to spend more time in Utah because I feel like that's going to be high up on my list. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to East Coast, I think that North Carolina has to be my favorite state between uh, just the the glory of the Blue Ridge Mountains and then also the uh, the NASCAR aspect and the barbecue aspect of the state. I think Tennessee is a very underrated state. When we start talking about these lists, it never gets uh, mentioned with the really beautiful states, but it is an absolutely be- beautiful state. Uh, mine would probably be Maine. I don't know if you've ever been to Maine, uh, but Maine is tremendous. And I've only been in there in the summer. So that's like the obvious time to go to Maine. And if I had to spend one day of the winter there, it would lower on my state rankings very quickly, I'd imagine. But Maine is gorgeous. I spent a lot of COVID there. I drove up there to check on a buddy's house because he didn't want to do it. It was his father's in-law's cottage. And long story short, like he just nobody could get up there to check on this house. And I was like, I'll do it. You know, I'll drive up there with my dog. So Taka and I went up there and we were supposed to only be there for like two weeks. And we ended up staying for 90 days because COVID never ended and football didn't come back. And it was like, it was like Greece, man. I met like a rich chick. It was awesome. It was a great time. Uh, I would go back in a heartbeat. My other one is uh, Utah. Like Utah 
in a, in the opposite way of what I just mentioned for Maine uh, is beautiful because it's just like, so diff- like you South Utah compared to North Utah is this like the absolutely complete different kind of vibe. Utah is tremendous. I need to do the, the five national parks in a row. I've been to a couple of them down there individually, but I want to do a road trip where I like start in Vegas and drive through all of them on yeah. the way to like Albuquerque and then fly back out of Albuquerque. Yeah. I've done Zion, but I need to do the rest of them. Yeah. I've done arches randomly. Um, but need to do, need to do the rest of them as well. And then on the Pacific, I'm, I'm also a Pacific Northwest guy. I would take Oregon over Washington though. I mean, that's splitting I've hairs into Oregon. So. Uh, Oregon crater Lake is one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life. Uh, you kind of get the redwoods, you get the beach as well with like, uh, the, uh, what do you call those? Those they're big rock formations in the ocean. Can't think of them right now. Uh, but it, it is, uh, the stacks, uh, out there in Oregon. So really cool place. Um, so yeah. I was curious about that. That makes sense. I've heard you're, you made quite a stir on social media about your opinions on New Mexican uh, cuisine. So, you know, that you got to ride with it at this point. Yeah. And people don't realize like how ancient civilization is in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, the oldest continually inhabited space in North America, yeah. Acoma Sky Pueblo in New Mexico. Yeah. On Santa, Santa Fe, right? Well, yeah, Santa Fe is the oldest state capital. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I think the highest elevation of any state capital. So, yeah, I want to say like the oldest church in America is in Santa Fe or something like that. Yeah. That uh, cathedral is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, really cool state. Really, really awesome state. Um, so, yeah, that will be the uh, Aggie War Pod. Jay Arnold, uh, congratulations to you. I feel like you only got better. This was like the Michael Jordan flu game. I think you gave some of your best takes. Uh, so far so 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 thank you for playing uh through pain we will get this up as soon as possible while you're listening to it right now so we got it up as soon as we could uh pause uh we will be back next week uh to talk not only texas a&m versus arkansas but to preview the week six game between texas a&m and alabama that was one of my finer moments talk to y'all later i I thought you had something to say uh we'll talk to you later Uh, We're going to land this plane before any of us get kicked (laughs) off of this thing forever. And we will see y'all next week.